Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to the last of our Epiphany Sermon Series, The Practices of Jesus, Obedience, by Rev. Ruth Boven. As Rev. Mannion said this morning, is uh, the conclusion of our series on the practices of Jesus. And this morning, we look at Jesus' obedience. We will look at that in the context of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so I encourage you to turn to Matthew 26. We'll be reading verses 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, May your will be done. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. One of the gifts of being a pastor here at LaGrave is that as a congregation, you are an exceedingly attentive Group, You are good listeners. Other pastors who preach that or who preach here say that same thing. It's evident to us as your pastors that you come here week after week hungry for the word of God. You come here knowing your need to be both fed by God's word and challenged by it. Perhaps you've heard before the saying that the word of God we love so much has the power to both comfort the afflicted and at the same time afflict the comfortable. And that's the truth. So let me just start out by naming the uncomfortable, the hard part of what we'll be considering together today. It's called obedience. And I think you and I know it's one of the hardest practices to embrace on the journey of faith. Why is that so? 
Well, because obedience is about submitting our own will to the will of someone else. It's about setting aside what we want, what we want to do, what we want to have, maybe even what we believe we have coming to us, what we think we deserve, what we think is best for us, and then doing instead what serves best the purposes of God. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prays to God the Father, saying, Not what I want, Lord, but what you want. This is not a very popular idea today. You likely won't be the hit of your next dinner party by asking, So, how's everyone doing lately with submitting your will to God's? Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, claims that our current cultural context makes it especially difficult for us to focus on obedience. We live, he says, in a time when there is a great market for religious experiences, but there is little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. He writes, everyone today is in a hurry. The persons whom I lead in worship, among whom I counsel, visit, pray, preach, teach, they want shortcuts. They want me to help them fill out the form that will get them instant credit in eternity. They are impatient for results. They have adopted the lifestyle of a tourist, and they only want the high points. Well, that may be true, but for quite a few weeks now, you and I and all of us here at LaGrave have committed to being apprentices of Jesus. We've been studying Jesus' practices, practices like prayer and worship and loving our neighbors and being patient with interruptions, believing that nurturing these practices in us is good for us. And I'm convinced that deep down, we do want to be more than tourists in life. We want to be disciples, disciples whose practices help us live deeply and faithfully and obediently and joyfully. And so today, we bravely follow Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane. And we see that in order for Jesus to do not what he wants to do in his human nature, but what God wants, Jesus has carved out time and space to wrestle with submitting to the will of God. Let me propose to you then that obedience, that submitting to the will of God will almost always require some wrestling. My guess is that we are 
all wrestling with some matter of obedience in our lives. Maybe it's about your prayer life. Maybe it's about some jealousy or unforgiveness you're hanging on to. Maybe it's about a a growing addiction or about curbing your screen time. Maybe right now you're wrestling with whether or not to make a big financial purchase, a house or a car or a cottage or the paying of tuition, and you're struggling to know the will of God in it. Maybe what you're wrestling with is that letter you received recently that says you've been nominated as a pastoral or administrative elder or deacon at LaGrave. And you'll soon need to say whether you'll keep your name in the mix or not. There's no getting around the fact that this will require of you precious time. Time in meetings, time for visits, time for extra phone calls and emails, time away from the comforts of home. And so, understandably, there's some wrestling to do. So let's go further into the garden and notice how Jesus wrestles with the will of God. What I first noticed about Jesus' struggle to be obedient was that in it, he moved toward God. Jesus sought out and drew near to the one he trusted the most, the one he knew loved him the most. And what Jesus knows about the one who is calling him to this obedience is that the ways of God are good and are for the blessing of the world. Jesus knew that his obedience was ultimately about submitting to a plan that was rooted in love. And importantly, he also knew that he himself was beloved of God. Friends, following the will of God for our lives is first of all about knowing ourselves to be loved by God. This is my beloved son, declared the voice of God, breaking through the realm of heaven to earth. In him I am well pleased. Obedience grows out of knowing yourself to be loved by God, the one to whom you belong, body and soul, in life and in death. John Calvin in his Institutes affirms this idea. I quote, We are not our own. Let not our reason nor our will therefore sway our plans and deeds. We are not our own. Let us therefore not set it as our goal to seek what is expedient for us according to the flesh. Conversely, we are God's. Let us therefore live for him and die for him. We are God's. Let wisdom 
Let his wisdom and will, therefore, rule our actions. We are gods. Let all the parts of our life accordingly strive toward him. Jesus knew himself to be loved by the God who is love. But Jesus also knew this, that in the economy of God, that in the way things work in God's kingdom, it's in sacrifice, it's in giving of ourselves that we receive. It's in dying to ourselves that we are born to new life. It's in obeying what may seem like the restrictive or confining will of God that we actually find fullness of life and flourishing. How can that be? And what does that look like? Well, here's a picture. Let me introduce to you Elder Jane. When Jane received the nomination letter from her church, Jane is, is, a, is a false name, and, it's in, and she's not here at this church, just so you know, she was sort of shocked that someone had identified gifts in her for being an elder. She felt honored, but she was also very hesitant. She liked having her evenings available to her. She liked being free to meet friends for dinner or to stay put at home in comfy clothes, catching up on missed Netflix episodes. She also had this nagging doubt that the gifts someone identified in her were even, if they were even real or, or good enough to, to fill the need. But in Jane's wrestling to do the will of God, she concluded she would let her name stand, and she was elected. Well, I can't speak to all that happened inside Jane as she served those three years on council, but I can speak to what I saw happening. I saw that Jane's obedience led to a time of awakening for her. A time of growth. A time when her capacity for loving God and loving others grew. Jane found that as hard as it was to go and visit someone who was sick or who was grieving, she often left with a sense that she had been on holy ground, that God had met her there. Jane's obedience, instead of limiting her, grew her, changed her, increased her capacity for love and joy and service. Now, please understand I'm not saying there aren't any good reasons for saying no to serving on council or any other ministry. But I am saying that though obedience can seem like something that shrinks our freedoms, that limits our life, 
in the realm of the upside-down kingdom of heaven, it's just the opposite. In God's economy, every time we choose to die to ourselves, to submit our will to the will of God, something grows in us. Something changes in us. There is something about our capacity that increases. And this is also true. The more we practice obedience in everyday ways, in small ways, the more it prepares and conditions us for the bigger and the more painful and messy and difficult things of life that we'll encounter. I'm reminded that on October 2, 2006, the world was horrified by the news that a man with a gun had entered a country schoolhouse in Nickel Mines, Pennsylvania, and shot 10 young Amish girls. Five survived and then shot himself. Well, it wasn't long before news of the shooting mingled with news that the families and the community had already bestowed forgiveness on the shooter. On the very day of the killings, members of the Nickel Mines community took food to the man's widow. And six days after the shooting, families who had just buried their daughters attended the shooter's funeral. The question that, that rose out of those actions was, of course, how could they do that? How could that community possibly forgive in light of the horrors done to them? I remember hearing Dr. Neil Plantinga speak about it. What he called folks to realize is that the deep commitment on the part of the Amish community to practice forgiveness in small daily ways was what prepared them to be able to offer forgiveness in the face of such tragedy. It's a little like developing muscle strength. It is daily movement and stretching and use that prepares a muscle to do its work when the time comes for heavy lifting. It's the same for us. As you and I practice small, daily ways of submitting our wills to God, the Holy Spirit moves and works and prepares us for the ups and downs of life's unfolding. Finally, one more observation about Jesus in the garden it's interesting to me that Jesus invited his closest disciples, his closest people along to pray and wrestle with him. I think this is a good practice 
Obviously, though, friends can fail us sometimes. But what it says is, what it says, though, is that we need others. We need others when it comes to obeying the will of God. In fact, when Luke tells the story about Gethsemane, as Jesus is in the garden struggling so severely that he's sweating drops of blood, and when his friends fail him, God sends an angel to attend him. God will never leave us alone in our struggle to live out his will. You know, maybe Jesus took those disciples along as well as a reminder that for him to submit to the will of God would mean life for them. And maybe in having them there, he was reminding himself about you, about his love for you, about his desire for you to have fullness of life. It's reported that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was leading worship, as he had done so often as a prisoner in Flossenburg prison during World War II, and had hardly ended his last prayer when, on April 8, 1945, two men entered the room and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. One of the worshipers there who made it out reports that Bonhoeffer's last word to those left behind were, this is the end. But for me, it is the beginning of life. Friends, Jesus got up. And because he did, because he went obediently from the Garden of Gethsemane to the hill outside Jerusalem, where he took on our wounds and our pain and our disobedience, he took it on himself to the cross, you and I have been given new life, new hope, new joy. Yes, it's true that sometimes obedience can seem like an end to something. But because of the immeasurable love of God in Christ, it is also the beginning of life. My life, your life, our life. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious God, this is your world, and this is your day. We are your beloved children. God, show us the way. In Jesus' strong name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.